Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Have you ever heard the saying that your attitude is everything? Your attitude is everything. I'm sure if you've ever played a sport or if you've ever been in any kind of team competition, there's going to be a coach or some mentor that says, well, you need to change your attitude if you're doing poor. And that's true. Attitude is everything. But when it comes to believers serving God, Jesus teaches us here today that our attitude in serving him is everything. Let's look today at how Jesus recalibrates the disciples' understanding. And he has to reset their compass for them on what it means to truly serve Jesus. Because every believer should want to serve God. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, no matter where you are in your faith, there ought to be something inside of you that is not happy with not serving God. Because that's something that we are all called to do. But the attitude by which we carry it out is far more important than the actions themselves. And so, how is your serving attitude today? Well, Jesus had, in this passage, Jesus had just challenged a rich young ruler. And you could go back and read that in your Bibles. The rich young ruler wanted to follow Jesus. And if you remember what Jesus said, Jesus said, Sure, you can follow me if you sell all of your earthly possessions. And the guy was like, I'm... I'll get back to you on that. And so after that, of course, the disciples were left wondering what was going on. As, as Matthew records it, if you notice in your scripture, it says the rich young ruler, he went away sad. Jesus then used that to illustrate to his disciples the danger of putting things before or ahead of serving him. And so Peter responded by asking Jesus the question. I love Peter because Peter is the guy that will ask what everybody is thinking. And so Peter asked Jesus straight up. He proclaimed that he had left everything to follow Jesus. So what's in it for them? You ever had that attitude? I've had that attitude before where you say, okay, Jesus, I, I know you're very proud of me because I'm doing all of these things. So what's in it for me? Give me, give me, give me. And that's where the disciples were at. It wasn't that they were being evil. It wasn't that they hadn't had a thought that none of you have had or will have at some point. The fact is that they saw this guy that had everything that money could buy. His possessions possessed him. His possessions possessed him to where he could not serve the Lord. And so as we look at our text this morning, we see a few things. Number one, that if you serve Jesus only for his gifts then you are not serving him, but only your selfish agenda. If you serve Jesus only for his gifts, you are not serving him, only your selfish agenda. What does that look like? Oh, nobody in here and nobody at any church that calls themselves a Christian would dare say, well, I don't have a selfish agenda. But what happens when the peace that you seek from your relationship with the Lord doesn't come? What happens when God does not answer your prayers in the time nor in the manner that you think he ought to? What happens when it comes to a point to where your faith actually costs you something? Maybe a friend, maybe a relationship, maybe a thing. I don't know, but when our relationships, when our religion and when our beliefs start costing us things, are we still 
sounding so impressive. I think there's a little bit of the rich young ruler in all of us. And as we can see here, it was in the disciples as well. They were saying, look, Jesus, we've given you everything. So what do we get? As I said, Jesus was getting ready to recalibrate their understanding because here's the thing. If your devotion stops when his gifts stop, you have an issue with an attitude of serving. Listen to Jesus' response. We need to adjust your attitude or you need to adjust your attitude. I need to adjust my attitude because Jesus returns your service to him today with great rewards in eternity. Jesus returns your service to him today with great rewards in eternity. I cannot stand when somebody comes up to me, and if you've done this, I'm not mad at you, but when you say, preacher, I really need to talk to you, I'll say, okay, what about? I'll, I'll tell you after the service. Oh, don't do that to a preacher. Because then the preacher's got to go, oh, what do I do to make him mad? Or what's going on? And, and I just have to wonder, you know, just if you got something to tell the preacher, Tell them at the church. Don't say, hey, I got something for you. I'm going to tell you later. Because what's worse, hearing whatever has to be said or the anticipation of thinking what might be said? None of us like to wait. Some of you are waiting for test results for doctors. Some of you are waiting for a relationship to pan out. Some of you are waiting for your children to grow out of stages. Some of you are waiting for that promotion. Some of you are just waiting So we see the disciples. If you serve Jesus, adjust your attitude because your returns may not be seen all today, but they will be in eternity. Matthew 19, verses 27 through 30 say this. It says, Then Peter said to him, We've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? And Jesus winds up and he gets ready to serve them a big dose of truth. He says, I assure you, that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel and everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Folks, when you serve Jesus, you are not making sacrifices. You are making investments. I talk to countless people where they talk about, especially, you know, we had our church, our family in church every Sunday. You have your family in church every Sunday. And I'll go ahead and tell you, I understand, especially those of you that have young ones, getting to anywhere is a battle, let alone church on Sunday mornings. I mean, you're, you are like, get in the car and finally get there. Oh, hey, preacher. Look, I understand that. But God will bless that effort. No one regrets a sacrifice of time or money or convenience if it benefits themselves or someone they love, right? Well, the problem for many is that they are reluctant to serve Jesus because they don't see the immediate needs. Many will say that they don't have time to serve Jesus. You may have said you don't have time to serve Jesus. 
but it's never that truthful or honest, but it shows in our busy schedules the focus of right now. If you want to know what you're focused on, look at your time, look at your schedules, and look at your checkbook. There are things that you have to pay for. You have to pay to keep the lights on. You have to pay for your children's health care. You have to pay for your retirement. You have to pay you have to pay for insurance to drive if nothing else to protect you when somebody else hits you. Look, it's a racket. I understand, but there are things that we have to pay. But Jesus doesn't challenge Peter and the disciples' service. He challenges their motives. He doesn't challenge their service. He challenges their motive. And here's the thing. His question reveals their motives. We've given up everything to follow you. What do we get? Their motives are seen right here. Is that they are following Jesus to be part of this movement that he is in, but also for what they can receive. It's important to note here, though, that Jesus does not chastise Peter and the disciples. He doesn't say, you bunch of ingrates, I ought to just burn all of you up right now. He doesn't do that. He loves them enough to correct them and to recalibrate them. And he says, don't worry about who gets ahead now. I can take care of you today and your true reward awaits in heaven. Let me ask you this. Would you rather have all your treasures on earth while you live here and be punished at death for eternity? Or would you rather do without now and have all of your riches in eternity? It just depends on what day we ask you, right? It just depends on what day you ask me. There are days where you say, I want mine and I want it now. And then there are other days where, no, I can do without so that I can benefit later. You see, you would think that that's an easy question, but it's not. Eternity here is an abstract thing. That's what I used to love about youth ministry is that you could try to teach biblical truth to middle schoolers and they would be clueless. I mean, you'd have to end up talking about, you know, goofy things and boogers and all that stuff like that. And they could track with you. They They could understand those gross things. But then when you got into the high school and the college ages, you could start saying things like, God's love is like a, and they would track it. But middle schooler, you just get the blank stare because they don't have any context. And the thing is, is that when we talk about having benefits in heaven, when we have benefits in eternity, when Jesus has just told his disciples, look, you may not benefit right now, but I'm telling you, in eternity, you will, you will have everything that you ever need. I think of Job. Job who did nothing to defy God. As a matter of fact, God used him as an example. And Job lost everything and came within an inch of his life. But everything that he got back was more abundant than he ever had. Let me ask you, what drives you to serve God? What drives you to serve God? And the other end of that question is, what keeps you from serving God? What drives you to serve God and what keeps you from serving God? It begins and ends with your attitude. For example, I am okay knowing that I am not the best preacher to ever live. And I am okay to know that this church may never reach mega church status. But you can bet this, my service 
to Jesus today will reap rewards that will reach to eternity. And so will yours if you so choose to serve him. Some of you will be signing up to be in our VBS to lead. And you will be leading children in decisions that they may not understand it at the moment. You may not understand it at the moment. But one day in heaven you will see the, the rewards of that seed that was sown. We don't have to be the best. Everybody, everybody doesn't think we have to be the best. Everybody doesn't need to think that we are the best. We just have to do our best as Jesus has called us to. Jesus amplifies his message to his disciples with the parable of the vineyard workers. Let's go and look at that. We see that an attitude of comparison will steal your joy of serving Jesus. An attitude of comparison will destroy and steal your joy of serving Jesus. And I'll go ahead and tell you, preachers are worse about this. You get preachers at a convention or at a luncheon. Hey, brother, how you doing? What's you running in Sunday school? Usually the ones that bring it up are doing good that month. But ask them the next month when they're not doing good. Oh, brother, we're doing, we're, how are you doing? And they'll just move on. But yeah, preachers want to have what other churches have. Church members want to have what other churches have. In this time of consumerism, it's not about what we can do for the church, but about what the church can do for me. It's not about serving. It's about getting. That's why I'm so grateful that we have so many people committed in our church to serve our precious young families we have a nursery that's bustling over and i've never heard one of the family members complain once at least to me (laughs) no they say they all say you know what we have children in here we're going to be a part of this I love that. I love these senior adults that are saying, we're going to do everything we can as long as we can until we can't do it anymore, until God brings somebody else. That's serving with the right attitude. Serving, knowing that you are part of a bigger picture. Knowing that when one person comes to know Christ, it is a total effort from the person that says hello in the parking lot to somebody to the person who shakes a hand to the person who just wants to do whatever God has called them to do. And an attitude of comparison will steal your joy. And many of you will see this play out in just a few minutes. What am I talking about? I am a full believer in call-ahead seating. Amen? Call-ahead seating is a great thing. Sometimes you can even get an app. And you can say, hey, I want to be put in the line. And you get there. And you walk in and there have been people that have been waiting there an hour. And they're all looking at you like, ugh, put me out of my misery. And you look in and you walk in. There's no place to sit. you got to stand outside. And about five minutes goes by and they call you table. And then everybody gives you the stink eye when you walk by them. Call ahead. Hey, don't hate the player. Hate the game, right? Everybody has a chance to do the call-ahead seating. They may not know how to do it, but they might want to learn how to do it. And so we get the stink out because we took advantage of a service that was offered. And they say, what's that, what do they say? We've been waiting here an hour, and that person's only been waiting ten minutes. And then that person at the desk goes, well, they called ahead. Yeah, you want to talk about comparison. You just see a bunch of Christians at a, a eating event. Or a concert. They're all about comparing who's waited long 
and all that kind of stuff like that. But here's the thing. It's their restaurant. It's their rules, and anyone can take advantage of it. But you know what? I've been on the other side, too. I've been that person that's been waiting forever and see somebody just walk in, and you're like, Sometimes we're on the other end of it. So we're always comparing our weight to their weight, our food to their food, our church to their church, our family to their family, our situation to their situation, comparing, comparing, and comparing, each time taking a little small chunk of our joy out of our lives. Matthew 20, verses 1 through 12, says, For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At time at nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the market and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them that he would pay them for whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work and in the vineyard, and at noon, and again, and at three o'clock, he did the same thing. So you had the early morning folks, you had the 9 a.m. folks, which most people start work by 9 a.m., then you had the noon, and then you had the afternoon folks. So at five o'clock that afternoon, which is normally quitting time, right? At five o'clock in the afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around, and he asked them, haven't you been working today? Wouldn't you know that a bunch of people not working? Five o'clock in the afternoon, hadn't done a thing. And they replied, no, because no one has hired us. So the landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. Whoo, they got lucky. Well, it says in verse 8, that evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. And when those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When these hired first came to get their pay, they assumed that they would receive more. But they, too, were paid a day's wage. You want to upset an organization? Let it leak out what everybody gets paid. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, yet you have said, or you have paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. Those Nine o'clockers were comparing themselves to the five o'clockers. The early morning folks were comparing themselves. Sometimes it's not fair, is it? When you as a Christian have to suffer and to do without things, and there are other people that are getting their way, they're living their way with no consequences, right? It's, you know, you look here and you say, man, I'm going to church today, but I really could use water in my lawn. (coughs) I really could use that extra little time in, or I got, really would like to watch this whatever. I really would just like to, to veg out today. Netflix and chill. All of that stuff. Again, when you start comparing yourself to others, it steals our joy. Many want to say that it is unfair, and sometimes that it may even seem that way, but being unfair is not in God's character. If you've ever uttered the words, God, that's not fair, that's understandable. I've said those words. But if you want fair, if you want God to be fair, Jesus would have never died on the cross for your sins, and we would all be bound for hell. 
That's what's fair. That's what we deserve. That's what we earned. So when you put that into the mix, there's a lot less to complain about in there. But in this parable, look, God is the landowner. Just like when somebody goes by in that call ahead seating. This is his restaurant. This is his rules. This is his way. And God is a landowner and he believes like you and I are the believers like you and I are the workers. And believers can get really upset when they begin comparing their works to those of other believers in churches. Folks, let them be who God has called them to be. Let them be who God has called them to be and you be you. There's still a world that people are lost and dying and going. People aren't coming in court in Holman Park, folks, to come to their church. We're here. We have an opportunity. We need to quit comparing ourselves with other places. Let's be who we are. And what I told people when they told me about the glory days, look, I'm all great for that, and I'm not making excuses for where we are, but I am saying this, that was a great day for this church But the day can be a great day for the church. We don't need to be what everybody expects us to be. We need to be who we are as a church and as an individual and as you sitting in that pew, just you and God. Don't compare yourself to that person beside you. Don't compare yourself to that person in front of you, behind you. Don't compare yourself to me. You be you. And quit comparing. Don't worry about how much that worker got paid. Don't, ma- don't worry about how much God has blessed that person. Focus on your blessings. And the third thing that we see, don't let your short-sightedness of circumstances or comparisons to others cloud your judgment of who God is or isn't. Did any of you ever have a parent that told you no before? No. Sometimes I thought that was the only word they knew. I know I mentioned that last week a little bit, but here's the thing. Sometimes God will feel unfair. Sometimes God will tell us no. Sometimes God will tell us wait. And so the thing is, is that we don't need to let our circumstances of what we are in the middle of cloud our judgment for who he is. God is not unfair. His word says that. He has demonstrated that. God is not unfair, yet our understanding of the situation may make us think that. Look, as far as my faith goes, there was a time where I almost, my faith was running to a ditch because I forgot what God's word said and I let my circumstances speak louder than this book. And that, my friend, is a dangerous place to be. Jesus told the disciples, quit looking around at everybody else. You be you. You trust me. You trust my Father. And for our third point, an attitude of superiority over others will reveal a misunderstanding of God's grace. An attitude of superiority over others reveal a misunderstanding of God's grace. That's why I'm very grateful for our church. There are very few, if any, that I know of that think they're better than anybody else. And if you know somebody, I'm sorry. 
If it's me, let me know and I'll apologize because I don't think I'm better than anybody else. But there are some places, oh, this person, they are really spiritual. And some people like to let you know how spiritual they are. I've met people before and they say, oh, hey, you're a preacher? I go to church. I'm a deacon and I do this and I do this and I do this. And the more that they justify it, the more bad of a Christian I know they are. Because a true Christian doesn't have to tell you that they're a Christian. They show it in their words. Jesus says in verses 13 through 16, He answered one of them, Friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. It is against the law for me to do what I want to do with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first, and those who are first will be last. Folks, the moment you as a believer feel superior to someone else, you have the wrong focus. You are trying to justify your own actions, and you are placing a higher priority over your personal opinions rather than God's truth. If you put a bar so high that no one can, can move up to it just to be redeemable in your eyes, then you have got a problem because you have lost the perspective of your own lostness and the grace that you received. The other verse I want to share with you as we close out. Do you understand God's grace? Do you really understand God's grace? If you want to know what God's grace is, Don't take my word for it. Take the Apostle Paul's word for it. And it says in Romans 3, verses 20 through 24. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. This Bible here, these verses, these concepts that you have learned all through your life, They make you a Christian because they show you where you're doing it wrong. They convict you. And you realize that you are convicted. And you realize this screams to you that you need Jesus. So what has our world done today? We're just not going to look at this. We're going to be our own person. We're going to be who we want to be. But the truth is, is that people figure if they can ignore God's word, it doesn't convict them. It doesn't work that way. It says in verse 21, But now God has chosen us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirement of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and in the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes it, no matter who we are. Folks, I've heard people that have actually said, you know, there's someone, say, in the hospital that has a a late, almost deathbed confession where they decide they want to know Jesus Christ. And there will be a Christian that has been a Christian all their life, and they will say, well, it's not fair. That person lived like they wanted to all their lives, and as their life was ending and the gate was closing, they became a Christian. It's just not fair. And then I asked him, I said, well, let me ask you this. What's better? Them not going to hell and receiving heaven or the whole lifetime of blessings you've received as a Christian. Look, it is God's grace and he could dispense it as he wants. Just thank God that he dispensed it to you. Because no man, 
No woman comes to the Father unless His Spirit draws them. So if you are a believer, you have something to be thankful for. Verse 23 says, For everyone has sinned and falls short of God's glorious standards, yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when He freed us from the penalty of our sins and our death. Folks, instead of focusing on the grace that God has given to another person, maybe today you'll focus on the grace and the benefits God has given you. And that is the lesson of the parable of the vineyard workers. So in conclusion, if you're serving Jesus, serve him not out of obligation, but out of love. Not out of obligation, but of love. Find the joy of knowing your creator loves you enough to use you. I still wake up and I can't believe that God lets me stand in this pulpit and proclaim for him, I'm not worthy of this. But yet God so chooses to use me. God so chooses to use you. Whether it be on the baseball field or on the telephone or in the workplace or wherever it may be, God can use you for his glory. Don't get sidetracked by looking at other people or other things. I think of how many Little League games you have to go to where you see the child out in the outfield. wondering They're wondering when they're going to get their next juice box. Then they get tired and they sit down in the grass and start picking clovers. And sure enough, and then it gets hit down in their way. Folks, don't be caught looking around. Keep your eye on the ball. Stay in the game. Because if you are not serving God, my simple question is, why not? God, I thank you so much for this service. And as today, as we continue with the Lord's Supper, dear Heavenly Father, it is my prayer that, Lord, we see the truth of the parable of the vineyard workers. The Lord, it's not about what other people are doing, but it's about the plan you have for us. And thank you for that grace that you have bestowed upon us. May we be motivated to take that grace and share it with others in our community, in our circles, and in our world. 